Welcome back. It is another episode of George in the Jungle. I am Aaron Smith, joined by George Vogel. And we have plenty of Cincinnati sports coming at you. This show, as always, presented thus far by Bearcat Journal. George, it's episode three. It is uh, two games now in the books for your Cincinnati Bearcats. You and I both had the privilege of being in Pittsburgh, albeit in completely different capacities. Yep. Uh, both uh, as as the job goes, and also I'm sure in the inebriation department as well. It was uh, borderline. <laughs> uh, but in any case, um, give me your thoughts as you got to attend as a fan, as Cincinnati does. Get this one in a narrow margin, ends up being 27-21 at Pittsburgh. Great game to watch, no matter where you were in that stadium, as long as you were wearing red and black. A lot of fun. First half, you're like, oh, my God, this team is looking like it's not only good, it's very good. And I still think it can be. Um, But you go on the road and you're taking on a team like Pitt where there's some you know, some experience there with that team, that defense. We, we know that's a good defense and it's tough. You're not going to blow them out. It looked like UC was going to. As a fan, you wish it would happen. You wish it were that easy. Sure. It's never going to be that easy. It's not. You know, they have an experienced quarterback. Um, none of those pit players panic, nor should they. Um, and, and I think uh, all in all, a win on the road against a team like Pitt, uh, you're, you're, you know, against another Power 5 team. I'll take that all day, every day, every week. And it's a great way to kick off this season to have a 2-0 going into the Miami game. Uh, you're your first season in the Big 12, and you look like not only are you going to be able to compete in that conference, you might be able to do some damage because of uh, – what the Bearcats showed once again up front defensively, and that's not to take anything from the back end, but my God, there were some plays in that game at Pittsburgh that I could see from Section 517 that uh, those defensive linemen were were taking names in that game, no doubt about it. They were. It felt like uh, between Juwan Briggs, Dante Corleone, Eric Phillips, uh, even a little bit of Justin Watley. Um, let me think who else uh, – you had Dorian Jones, you had uh, Jack Dingle, plenty of guys living in the backfield most of the yeah. game. And uh, that was just a testament. Uh, Scott Satterfield talked about it today in the uh, in his presser, just aggressive play calling. And this team apparently thrives on the aggressive play calling that the coaching staff has been dialing up. Yeah, and, and they've got the players to do it, it appears. Um, and, and it's great to get off of that fast start on the road like that, too. Not that I, I know they announced a crowd of 49,000. I don't know that it looked like that. To no me. shot. Right. I figured it was half that. Um, uh, it was kind of disappointing on the pit end of things. I mean, you know, the, the, they stacked the UC people on the one side and the pit side. They, they didn't have anybody in the upper deck, really. Um, it, it was to see 49,000 on that box score was hilarious. I totally laughed at that. Um but still, you're on the road in that environment, and they did have a good student section. I'll give those students credit, although they, I left, agree. Early. <laughs> they left early after it got 27-7 to 
you started seeing them streaming out. That's like really the best was yet to come for them. And I don't know where you were actually tailgating, but they bust most of those kids in. So I don't yeah. know how the hell they're leaving yeah. unless they just yeah, have buses. Right. Unless they just have buses waiting out there, or the kids are going down to like the bars or something. Yeah, I'm but, guessing they were doing that. Uh, um, but yeah, when when I left the game, I saw the area where the buses were picking a lot of the kids up, yeah. and it was a madhouse. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, fun experience. It, it was great, and I, I just really do feel good about this Bearcat team where they are. And uh, we talked about the defense offensively, what Corey Kiner gave him in that game. Uh, and I know people made this comparison, but I made it in the crowd that it's like, um, you know, it is like a little Michael Warren in a way. Um, he kind of has a little bit of that in him. Uh, he may not break off, you know, the 80-yard touchdown, but by golly, he gets everything he can on each run. And, and he showed some seriously, seriously good maneuverability um, you know, he, he made some great plays against Eastern Kentucky, had a couple runs that made you say, wow, that, that's pretty cool. And he did the same uh, on, on Saturday night in Pittsburgh where he made some quick moves and then he had some power moves. He, bulled, he bulldozed some guys in that game he and tacklers with him for first downs. And uh, certainly that one late in the game was the big one, but, but uh, he was a big part of that fast start for the Bearcats. So you've you've had the pleasure of kind of getting being able to follow Corey Kiner as he as you covered high school football, and so you've seen him go from a kid at Roger or yeah Roger Bacon to yeah. where he's at now. So what's it been like to see just the evolution of Corey Kiner to where he had a career day right before your very eyes there? Oh in, yeah, in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's funny because you look at that and you're like, how fantastic those stats look on the sheet how good he looked on the field and and some that was like half of what he did in high school he had 300 yard rushing games in fact uh i think my son somebody had, had talked to him uh and and said man when i saw he had 151 against pitt i was going to razz a guy and say he got more yards against pitt then he did the high school team I root for. Then he looked up that box score, and Corey ran for like 350 against his high school team. So it's it's he, you know, we knew this kid was going to be good in high school. And, you know, maybe he didn't play against the biggest schools in town, but the numbers and the eye-popping numbers and the way he did it, um, you know, he returned kicks. He was unbelievable. He was just – it kind of reminds me – it may be a little different runner, but but the production and we've had some good ones. You know, there there's good ones right now um, that that are in the city. Um, but his like some of his ridiculous numbers uh, reminded me of Sean Alexander way way back when at Boone County High School, right. and a guy who was able to do everything on offense. And um, really, he he's and it's not like they just have to rely on him. And I love the fact that this coaching staff. Thought they had a hot hand, and they just kept playing it and kept playing it. And, you know, they spotted him a little bit that he's not going to get every carry, but he doesn't have to because this team is so darn deep at, at, at running back right now. Not only just good young ones, good experienced ones as well. And that, that's huge for this team uh, as this season unfolds. Yeah, and to your point, he had 20 of the 42 carries for the Bearcats on Saturday, 153 of the 216 yards. Average 7.7 per carry there. Uh, he had his career high by halftime, 
And yeah. I guess selfishly, I would have liked to have seen them uh, give him the rock a little bit more in this, especially in the third quarter. Uh, it feels like they tried to see what they had in Miles and uh, Ryan Montgomery, um, just kind of spreading the wealth, I guess, a little bit as they had that lead and maybe just trying to give him a, a, a breather there. Yeah, I, um, think that, went- I, I think that's part of it. I mean, it, it's game two. And you do have some talent, and and but you do want to play that hot hand. But I I get what they were doing, um, yeah. but I also got a little nervous there too when things started. You know, when things start tightening In up. The fourth, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I don't know. I mean, this this team has shown that they can win against a good pit defense. They've shown that they can blow out an EKU. Uh, they they have another a rivalry game and we all we know that Miami has a tendency to get up for this game despite what their record says um against Cincinnati it seems the uh the victory bell right now the battle for the victory bell Cincinnati leads that overall by one game in the 127 matchups that they've had they have not lost since 2005 um what do you think that this team can take away from what they learned about themselves against Pittsburgh to take into this Miami game I would think, number one, um, if they have a chance to put the hammer down, they're going to because teams can come back. Teams can make things tight when it looks like you're dominating for two quarters. Um, But uh, I also think, and I was glad to hear the way they talked about that game today, that they realize, you know, this is kind of a big game for Miami. They realize there's a streak here. Uh, They realize there's been some close calls during that streak. In fact, there's probably been at least a couple of games, if not more than two games, that Miami should have won. I mean, UC escaped with their, you know, with their lives several times against this team uh, and and several times when they were supposed to maybe not blow them out, but certainly be the dominant team like you would suspect this year. Uh, But I think just – you know, going on the road, getting a win is going to give you a lot of confidence. But I was glad to hear them talking today that they realize new week, new team, rivalry game, have to get it done. And, uh, you know, Miami didn't play well against uh, the Hurricanes. And then they got UMass, a team they should beat. But uh, boy, oh boy, did they put on a show against them. Yeah, going back to Corey Kiner, uh, Scott Satterfield t- said today that he's going to go with him as his feature back. Yeah. And uh, that, I guess, doesn't sound like it's, it comes as any surprise to you at this point, um, but we haven't quite seen anybody else emerge as a guy that's going to do what Corey can do at this point. So what are, what are your thoughts there? Well, it's good to see, uh, first of all, um, you saw what he did against Pitt, We've, you know, He's kind of been waiting to break out, and it seemed like last year it just wasn't quite happening for him. It was not; it wasn't bad, but it just wasn't happening. And and it, maybe it's good a new set of eyes got on him uh, when this new staff came in, and and maybe they appreciate a little more of some of the the smaller things that he does. Um, and and so I I don't have a problem with that at all, but I I, I do feel good about the fact. They have guys behind him that I would trust as well. But I I really did think, you look at that stable, and you would think, man, Kiner's got to be the man, right? Now, I'm prejudiced because I saw him play in high school. Um, and, I, and I know a little bit about the kid. And, and you just think he's got to be. But, you know, Miles Montgomery has a lot of talent too. And so 
We'll see how that shakes out. But I think, you know, Satterfield knows what he wants in that offense. He knows what fits best. He knows what style he has and what style of back fits it. And I, I you, you give him full trust to make that decision. Um, but, you know, you don't, you won't, it, it's funny. You're damned if you do and damned if you don't. And, and, you know, you said he got 20 carries. You wanted to see more. But then again, you don't want to, you know, I know they're young kids, but you don't want to kill yeah. a guy, right? Yeah, I get it. I, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like they're in good hands there and you just, you know, you just pray to God, everything goes well as far as health and all that, because you just, you know, those running backs take a beating. It's tough to get through a season without something happening. Uh, doesn't have to be major, but it can be just a twisted ankle that shuts you down for a week or two, but, but you just cross your fingers on all that. And that's another reason it feels good to have that, that big stable, of running backs back there. What was it like in the press pocket box at Pitt when UC was up 27 to seven? Was there, was, was there a kind of a like, holy crap feeling in there? This was not expected or what was that like? It was kind of funny. Cause early on, I mean, you could hear the, you, you like, I guess you could hear the Pittsburgh fans at every or the the Pittsburgh media anytime there was a good play and they're like yep that's first down or or something of that nature and that slowly dwindled and died up until after it seems like that the the that Pitt both the fans and the the media kind of all caught their sails after after that third down or I'm sorry the third quarter when they they sang Sweet Caroline that was I had remarked uh, to Keegan who was there in the in the box next to me. Um, that's the loudest that they had been all day uh, when they sang Sweet Caroline. Um, right. the, the the fans were no louder uh, to that you point. Than, you see fans were chanting during that, did you? I'm, I'm sure it, it had something to do with eating poop. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but <laughs> something like that. The the media upstairs, and we talked about this. Uh, I, I know Keegan and Chad talked about it on the nightcap on Sunday or on Saturday night sunday morning um but they they were more upset it felt like about the receivers being called on pass breakups uh than they were they, they thought that those should have been called drops and not uh pass breakups oh um, despite despite cincinnati being literally punching the ball out after these right. receivers were they, they were catching the 50 50 balls they right. just weren't coming down with them because justin harris i think had all of his pass breakups that way um, all, all four of them, I yeah, believe. Yeah, four of them. Yeah. Um, and no, they held. He got flagged a couple times. That all in all, he played a good game. I mean, they were, you know, I, I would have done what they did and maybe go after him a little bit. Um, yeah, they held. They held Bub Means to uh, no catches on eleven targets. Yeah, that's um, great. That's that's nuts. Um, and they the quarterback was only ten of thirty two. So. Hard, hard for a media to get up. Obviously, you're not supposed to cheer or anything like that. And th I think everybody was pretty respectful in that regard up there. Um, but, yeah, I mean. Yeah, no, I wouldn't think they'd be cheering. But I just, you know, I, I think. Um, I you think could sense frustration. Cries to, to, to see Pitt down 27-7 in the third quarter. Even on the way up in the, in the elevator as we were going up to the uh, press box, I heard a fan who was getting off a floor before the, the media floor ask one of the radio guys, like, how are you feeling about this game? And the radio guy for Pitt, and he's like, oh, I'm feeling good, real good. Chad, <laughs> I think you got I think you got some volume going on over there, Chad. Um, so, 
One second. Yep, we'll go ahead and mute chat here real quick. Um, but they, uh, yeah, it was, it was funny that they were feeling real good before the game, and I don't think they were feeling real good by halftime. No. Uh, Braden Smith, what about his game? And what about that? Can I, can I, can I interject one? Can I interject one thing real quick? Yeah. Should we maybe be talking a little bit more about Jordan Young if Pitt's number one wide receiver went zero for eleven? Oh yeah, he was fantastic! Like yeah. he made a great play breaking up a, a pass in the end zone. I feel I'm just like thinking back when you when you brought up their number one guy not having a catch. Thinking back to we talked a lot. I don't think we talked enough about Jordan Young. Well, I know, I know. Last night, Brent Brent gave him his flowers for sure. Um, yeah, but yeah, there's Jordan Young's been outstanding. For darn sure, outstanding. For darn sure. All right, that's all. I just it popped in my head. I was like, I don't think I, I, I was getting adjusted last night. Yeah, Brent Brent went on about the warden, and um, okay. I think he. I think he met Jordan Young's parents. I think that's. Oh, I do remember him saying that. Yeah. 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 Okay, that's all. So, um, I don't know. I the question I have for you though, George. We we've now seen. Don't don't skip Jordan Braden Smith. Oh, Braden Smith. I I didn't want to like eliminate your your topic. That's my bad. I didn't want to. By the way, that pass he threw was spot on. It was the the longest pass of the game for Cincinnati. Uh, but but it was it was a fantastic pass to D Wiggins there, um, and then his catch that he had in the corner was, uh, inarguably the best catch that Cincinnati's had this season. Right. Um, that touchdown catch will probably be, probably be on the highlight reel. Uh, I would imagine at least up until kickoff next season. Uh, any right. any time that Cincinnati or even the Big Twelve has Cincinnati in some of the commercials. I think you may see that catch in some of the Big 12 commercials um, because it was insane. Yeah, it was fun when they reviewed it, too, because I'm thinking, God, did he really, you know, they're going to. And that one angle on the scoreboard, like, he's clearly got it. He's clearly in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was a quick review. Yeah. Yeah, it was, and it should have been. Um, a lot of them should be quicker. Um, but, yeah. What, what a great play by him and just, uh, you know, good pass by Emory there too. I mean, put it where the kid could go get it. And my God, I, I don't know how you make your body do that, but he, he adjusted to it. Well, you bring up Emory Jones and we've now seen two completely different games for yep. Emory Jones. Um, not that he was bad in the game against Pitt, just a completely different play calling and, and utilization of his skills. Um, they, really didn't go deep with Emory in game two. It was mostly the intermediate and short stuff, um, a lot of flats and and comebacks and things of that nature. Um, now that you've seen Emory used in these two different ways with a focus more so on the run game in game two than it was in game one, um, do you feel any differently about Emory going into game three than you did after game one? Uh, maybe just a tad, but not a whole lot. Um you know, you're not going. I don't. I don't want to demean Eastern Kentucky, but you're not going against Eastern Kentucky, and you're going to have a different game plan, and you're probably going to be a little more uh, focused in on what it is you want to do uh, to to be safe with the football and not mm-hmm. have these turnovers that 
can change a game in a hurry, like, you know, the one late in the game, which I don't totally put on him. He was getting drilled when he was right. letting throw that ball. But, my God, I'm sitting there. It's like anything but an interception will be a plus here. If they can just punt the damn ball, take it, and boom. Not just an interception, but inside the 50-yard line. And and thank God for that defense there. But, no, I, I, I think he'll be fine. I think we're going to see him play a – a pretty solid game this coming week. And, uh, you know, he better be fine. If you're UC, you better hope he's fine. But, um, I, I, you know, maybe they turn him loose a little bit more against Miami. I don't know. I don't know what their thinking is there. But uh, I do know this. I have been a lot more impressed with this offense in the first two games and just things they do and – little things they do to, to create mismatches or put something in the back of the defense's mind. And, and, you know, we talked about the pre-snap motion last week, and we saw more of that, you know, some end-arounds, things that uh, end-arounds off that motion, other plays off that motion. Um, you know, I, I think they'll be fine. I just think they uh, game plan for a tough pit defense and a, a tough defense up front. And they were trying to limit mistakes, and, and certainly they did that. Yeah, I think uh, you'll probably see some more shades of the first game against Miami. Miami uh, having given up almost 400 yards, or at 399 and a half yards per game right now defensively. Um, 243 and a half of that coming through the air, uh, while Cincinnati is averaging 519 yards a game right now. Um, so I, I I would think that you'd probably see a little bit more aerial attack than you saw against Pitt. Uh, also, you're not going to have, I wouldn't think, the defensive pressure coming from Miami of Ohio that you had coming from Pittsburgh's defensive front. Right. And, you know, the, the Bearcats, and I, I was – man, I, w- I wish it would have stayed that way the whole game, but I thought their offensive line was fantastic early in the game, and I, it gave me a lot of hope. But, you know, Pitt's one of those teams, and they wear you down, and, and they've been that way for a long time, and especially with the head coach they have now – uh, that's a lot of what they right. do, um, but uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I think we'll see a little different deal this week against Miami. I really do, and and then we'll see what happens the week after. But we don't want to talk about that just yet. But my God, right. I'm looking forward to that. But you don't want to overlook those Red Hawks. No, nope, don't overlook a rivalry. And they talked about that today in the presser. Also, don't overlook the fact that it is Nip at Night. And it'll be our first glimpse of Nip at Night this season with the game kicking off at 7 o'clock. George, there's no way we miss each other this weekend. No, we, we won't. In, we won't. As we did uh, in Pitt. So we'll make sure. <laughs> and, and another thing, we, and, and uh, a couple things. Satterfield after the game, you saw that, right, in the locker room? With the sunglasses, the sunglasses, yeah. Or the do you do you even call those sunglasses? Or is I don't it just know. a sun, what you, so, do you, I, I, I a sun bar? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I didn't expect that out of him. Did you? I did not either. And to see him up there and just kind of bouncing around with them on, it seemed wildly out of character from the Satterfield that I feel like I've gotten to know thus far, and uh, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah, it was funny. It was funny, and it was funny today when he talked about. Uh, a night game at Nippert that gives people a little more chance to tailgate and maybe yeah. a little more fire. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this dude knows what goes on for sure uh, at these college football games. But 
Uh, Miami, again, no slide. I mean, they used to dominate this series. I remember, okay, so UC goes on that run of 16. And I think before that, are, though, it was Big Ben, right? They now, yes. And I think they now have, um, they now have the lead in the series for the first time by one mid, game. Like, yeah, by one game. And I just remember probably 15 years ago looking at that series and going, man. I don't know that they'll ever catch up, and if they do, I sure as hell ain't going to be around to see it. And now the Bearcats have rip, ripped off 16 in a row. That, that is incredible. Incredible. And I I went to the game last year, and I stayed, in, and it wasn't the best game in the world. It was during Oktoberfest, I think, down at PBS. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah and But I stayed. I wanted to see that clock count zero and UC finally have the lead in this UC Miami football series that, you know, has gone back forever. I, I think it was a hundred years ago or so the last time UC had the lead until they did that last year. So I wanted to see that. And uh, I remember going back, I went to a game at, uh, at uh, old Miami stadium before Jaeger stadium. So Jaeger opened, I want to say 1983. So I was, I was a student and, uh, I had a wineskin with me, and I was sitting at the end zone. They had the UC students stuffed in this little – it's almost like a high school bleacher thing at the end of Miami Field. And, yeah. and Miami Field had one of those old scoreboards with the circle clock on it, and you never really knew how much time there was. <laughs> it was like one of those weird – yeah, I'm serious. And uh. – and Brian Pillman out of Norwood High School, who was a great nose guard, he was undersized, like 5'10", uh, you know, 210 pounds or whatever. And, and and he was an animal. I think he may have been a sophomore in this game. And he had like 10 tackles or more from his nose guard position, several for losses. He was an absolute phenom in that game, dominated the line of scrimmage. It was a low-scoring game. UC had a chance to – take the lead late. They were driving and, and I think they had an incomplete pass in the end zone. Didn't quite. And I just, that was the end of the game. And I was so mad. I'm sitting there they're coming right at us. And I'm like, they're going to win this game. And they didn't. And I'd probably had too much of that wine skin, but I remember I, I run out of those little stands and there was this pine tree in like right behind the end zone. There were these pine trees or something. And I tackled one. And, you know, obviously the tree won. And I get up out of these <laughs> branches, and there's a state highway patrolman standing there just looking at me. Because <laughs> I think you've done enough. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting out of here, officer. Don't worry about me. I'm not attacking <laughs> any more trees. You don't know, you know, I was young. What, what, you know, when you're, you know, 21 or two, whatever. You don't know what gets into you. You just do stupid stuff off the cuff, and that was stupid. But I didn't get a ticket, so that was cool. And no, no vehicles caught on fire in this story. No, no, nobody put the gas in the wrong spot. Yeah. When when did you start at Channel Five? Oh well, <laughs> um, I might have been on the payroll then. Actually, I may have been part time. Hey, look. Uh, there's there's been several instances where look I, I wasn't uh, on the air yet okay okay so, you, were, you were working your way up you were climbing yeah, the ladder yeah, at that point yeah yeah I I just 
it, it was a lot of fun. I know that. It was a lot of fun. I, I went up there for a couple games back then, and uh, oh, my, old Miami Stadium. I'll tell you what, though. Miami's teams were terrific back then. Uh, three straight Tangerine Bowl wins in the 70s. They got uh, one year they finished top 10 in the country in the AP Bowl. Uh, they were tough. They were tough. So it's just I, I hope people on the other side of that rivalry, and I'm sure they do appreciate how crazy it is now that UC has a lead in this series. Because there was a time where you thought that will never happen. Well, happy to say that that is not, no longer the case. I uh, wouldn't have been upset if they had ended the rivalry there at one game over and just been done with the whole damn thing. I know what you're saying, but I don't want it to. I mean, I'm like, and what do you, do you think they should? And do you think UC should ever go back to Jaeger stadium? I don't, I don't think that financially is a smart decision to ever go back to Jaeger stadium. That said, it's also not fair in the rivalry that you don't ever go back to Right. their home field but Cincinnati at this point has outgrown truthfully they've probably outgrown the rivalry um and they may have outgrown to rip off 16 in a row I don't know that it's quite a rivalry anymore right um, right no so, I get what you're saying but boy I hate to see that I, I I don't I know I don't like it in basketball I mean I'm sorry I want to see UC play Miami I want to see UC play Xavier I want to see UC play Dayton uh, but it just doesn't work that way anymore. And, right. uh, you know, football's getting to that point. And I think I, I get some of it. And look, if you see rips off 20, 25 in a row, maybe it is time. I don't know. But um, there's just something. And, and it's just because I'm old and I grew up with it. And, you know, you're used to it and you hate to see it change. And, and so, you know, you got the Kentucky Louisville rivalry, but those are two programs kind of, you know, they're yeah. they're they're on equal footing. Um, but I, I still like seeing Cincinnati football play Miami football. And I, I, I think it's just good for the area. And I could be completely wrong. I could be so stupid and old school in that thought, but but I like the fact that Ohio State and I know they it, it it's it's a guaranteed win for them when they pretty much play an in-state school every year besides Cincinnati. But like they played Youngstown, was that last weekend? Yeah, um, yeah. That makes that program at Youngstown they 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 get to operate in the black probably because they got the money out of that game. Sure. Um, so I, I I still see some merit in it. You know, it's not the greatest thing for the fans, but then again it's great for the fans of the other team. And and I hope Miami sees it that way, but I don't know that they do. I, I think maybe they get sick of the thing too, but. Well, and if you I'll see it, I think if you see the, the rivalry continue, I don't think you're going to see it this year, but like Chuck Martin, when he didn't play the starters a couple of years ago now, um, right. that's not good for the rivalry. That's no, that's not, that's not. So as long as you're not seeing that happen against this Cincinnati team, and it's, if it happens for two consecutive years, and I think it's time to have a discussion about everyone taking this rivalry seriously or just not playing it at all. Yeah, no, so. that I can agree with. I, that's a good point, and, and I, I would agree with that. But um, hopefully Chuck takes it seriously this time and uh, throws out what he's got. And, and you know, that God, that wide receiver had an unbelievable game against UMass. Um, I think he makes up like 80% of this offense at this point for the Miami Redhawks. So. Yeah, 270 plus yards receiving and 
nine, 99 came on one play. Yeah, that's hilarious. You don't get to see that often. There was a time, no. uh, um, you know, that's that's a record that will not be broken there, Aaron. It will not be broken. It may be tied. Maybe uh, tied, but not broken. Yeah. Chris Collinsworth had one of those as a freshman at Florida. I can't remember if it was running or a pass play, but I think it was running. Well, you bring up a you bring up a Bengal, and yep. we we spoke last week about Joe Burrow potentially getting signed before the season started, and I don't know that it was twenty four hours later before right. it was announced after we discussed it uh, that Joe Burrow had become the richest player ever in NFL history at any position. Um, with his five-year extension for what was it, two hundred and two seventy-five? Yeah, two seventy-five. So year. since I locks him up for the next seven at this point with the with the five-year extension on top of his additional two years here, um, great deal. I'm not upset that it's – I don't know why people actually thought he was going to – I know that there was talks that he was going to make sure that his other guys got paid and they're not going to break up the team, all of that. But I don't know why anyone would have expected him to take anything less than what market value is for a quarterback and take some team-friendly deal. Yeah, it's not going to happen in this day and age. I mean, every other quarterback in the league looks at you with a – you know, in fact, every player does because – that's what sets the market value, and uh, there's there's no agent, there's no player. Uh, I, you know, sometimes they'll make some adjustments like Tom Brady did, and maybe that was let's, the road. Let's not kid ourselves. He was getting plenty of donations to his businesses from Robert Kraft or some subsidiary of oh, Robert probably. Kraft. So there probably. was plenty. There was plenty of money going unreported to the NFL that was exchanging hands from Robert Kraft to Tom Brady. So you think there was some malfeasance, something I, that they, the league should look into. The there, were should look into there were business ventures. We'll call it that. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, again, the, the agents are not going to let that market value sink one bit. Um, are you saying Joe, Tom Brady was, was Bob Kraft's masseuse? <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying that. <laughs> oh my! Yeah. Oh, God. George got it. George I, I, got I, it. We we all got it. <laughs> There's um, just nothing else to say. After let me like ask that. you this: the timing of this contract. All right, we saw what Joe looked like up there against Cleveland. Did that like throw his week into a tizzy? Now he had to know it was happening. He had to know it was coming. I don't think there was any doubt the Bengals were going to get this done. Um, but when it's announced, you know, three days before your first game or whatever it was, three, four days before your first game, and all this stuff's going on, that's all anybody's talking about. You know the players were giving him about it and asking him for loans and all that stuff. Should they have just wrapped this up sooner? I think that they probably should have wrapped it up sooner. That said, you also had news leaking out that T Higgins is not going to be extended this year. So now, you, you know, you have T Higgins wondering where his next paycheck is going to be coming from. As you go into this game, you also have what Zach Taylor 
referred to as the hardest rain in game that he had seen in a decade. Yeah. Uh, you and oddly enough, it was the I believe the only rain in the entire state of Ohio. And uh, there, there were there were even people who lived in Cleveland. Um, I believe uh, Michael Boston from uh, the Cincinnati Bearcats Twitter um, area. He, he's a Bearcats fan. He lives ten minutes outside of downtown. Mm-hmm. Said he did not get a drop of rain at his home, uh, living ten minutes outside of the downtown area. Oh, that's uh, crazy. So you, you lake effect some, rain, I guess. Instead of lake effect rain was in in full <laughs> effect. Um, so I, I think you had some different things going on there. I I don't know if you saw the graphic for the uh, receiver tree for Jamar Chase. It was awful. Wow. Awful, awful. He didn't go over the middle at all. Uh, everything was pretty much just up and down the sidelines. Yeah. Um, so you didn't really have him working to get any separation based on his route tree. I don't he know. Catch. I, I, it was a – it was a – Terrible play calling day for Zach Taylor in the offense. It was a terrible day for Joe Burrow. It was a no one on this Bengals team can you can really write home about outside of Lou Anaruma doing his best with a defense that seemed to live on the field. And yeah. uh, that that's all. The punter was even bad. Oh yeah, granted I, I, it was. I know those granted it was his 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 first his first game um but you can't have all three phases of the game have a horrendous day and they did they did and they lost to the browns and don't listen to anything i say prediction wise about the nfl anymore (laughs) i thought pittsburgh might be pretty good this year and they just got completely owned by the niners and then i thought the bengals would take care of business with the browns in fact i thought couple of weeks ago, I felt pretty good about it. The closer it got, I'm like, okay, they're not going to steamroll them. But they'll get out of there. They'll be fine. But I do think there's a lot of merit into um, – and look, Joe missed the preseason again. Another, yep. But the rest of that offense has got to get some reps too in, in yep. that preseason. And that may not have been the biggest issue. But I think now two years in a row, you've seen the Bengals get off to a crappy start in game one. I mean – Last year was putrid against the Steelers, and they weren't any better against the Cowboys in week two. Both of those were winnable games, and if they would have been hitting on the cylinders that they were hitting on later in the season, they would have won those games, and they probably would have had home field advantage with the Chiefs. And uh, here we go again. You don't play them much in the the preseason, and then you get this kind of a performance in week one. I think Zach Taylor's got to revisit that. I mean, I – I, I like a lot of what he does, and, and those guys love playing for him, but that's something. And, look, he's shown he's willing to make changes. He's willing to bend what he thinks is the way to do things and and, yep. and revisit things. And I think that's something he's got to revisit. Do you think there's anything to that? Well, you also had basically all three of your top teams in the AFC lost this week, and yeah. they lost pretty – not handily, I guess Buffalo didn't lose handily against the Jets last night, but uh, Kansas City did not look good in their loss, and Cincinnati looked dreadful in their loss. No, I'll um, tell you what, when Aaron Rodgers left that game, everybody in the world thought Buffalo had a win in their pocket. Sure, sure. Yeah, and they that, had and they that up, Jets team that had to recalibrate and redo what they're doing and just figure it out on the fly, uh, and they were able to do that. 
Yeah. Um, the the difference between this year and last year, as far as far as I'm concerned, is the fact that you don't you're not assembling an entirely new offensive line. Uh, the right. only the only real new piece you have this year is, I guess, sliding Jonah over to right tackle. Um, and Orlando Brown coming in. And Orlando Brown coming in. Uh, yeah. Outside of that, though, it's a lot of the same pieces between uh, Kappa and Golston uh, and Karras. Yeah. So it's it's uh and you saw Lyle Collins get cut today. So right, and that saves eight million on the cap, I guess. So it does do I, that. I, I guess they're kind of back on schedule with that for this year, but I don't know that that helps T Higgins. I don't know. Uh, but in any case, I don't know. I, you had an opportunity to – we didn't know the Buffalo was going to lose, but you had an opportunity to go a game up on Kansas City. And anytime you have an opportunity to go a game up on Kansas City, you have to capitalize on. And, unfortunately, since I dropped the ball this week, and you got to go back to the drawing board. I don't know that next year you'll see these guys sit out quite so many – so much of the entire preseason. Obviously, Joe was extenuating circumstances. I don't know that they would have had him sit out the entire – preseason had he not gotten dinged up in camp right. but um not there's a lot of guys that did not look like by my opinion uh that they were on the same page no no it was so disjointed it, it was it was shocking actually to me it was shocking to see the look on joe's face after some of those plays and it was like you know he had a look like what is going on here what is this i don't know what's happening um, and, and it can look that way sometimes. Every, you know, every team has clunkers, but boy, you don't like to see it in week one. But uh, they'll try to get it back together against the Ravens this week. And you know, the Ravens lost J.K. Dobbins with an Achilles uh, injury in game one. Um, they they usually find a way to make it work on the ground, but um, they lost some offensive linemen. They lost a, a safety, I believe, as well. They they're. And all of you know, them, I believe, are for the season. Uh, gosh, was it last year or the year before? They were like on their 10th starting cornerback or something. Yep. So, yeah, that was and, two years ago. They still seem to find a way to, to be in that mix at the end. And, you know, the Bengals beat them in the playoffs last year. Uh, the Bengals are favored to do it again here. Do you see a Bengals uh, bounce back? And maybe we'll see what we expect to see out of Cincinnati this week at home. I sure hope so, because whatever you saw this week, everyone should be staying after practice to get extra reps. The line should be staying after practice. Joe should be staying after practice with his receivers. Every The punter should be staying after for extra reps. Everyone should be staying after practice this week for extra yeah. reps. It, it, was it's, not it, good. it was crazy. And, 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 you know, some of those elements look pretty good, like the punting during the preseason. But it wasn't – again, you can't make the excuse of the weather, but you kind of can. But both teams play in it. Both teams right. have to deal with it. And uh, the Bengals didn't deal with it very well from what it looked like. No, I was surprised they didn't go to the run more um, at all. Yeah. Like even, even early on, it was working for Cleveland. I don't know why you wouldn't just try and – don't try and reinvent yeah. the wheel. And I'll tell you um, – Nick Chubb just gives this team problems, man. I mean, it's it, it's a bad matchup for the Bengals, I guess, when you start looking at the – because their worst game last year was where? In Cleveland. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there's something going on there with the matchups with the Browns. It does not work for Cincinnati. and it, it, I, Apparently, it doesn't matter who the hell's playing quarterback for Cleveland. 
And Miles Garrett is an equal matchup nightmare on the other side of the ball as oh. he was he was having the time of his life out there pretending yep. to be Allen Iverson before <laughs> in pre-snap and then just going right over anybody who was in his way. He's a beast. He is a beast. He's a load. He's a guy that you have to know where he is, what he's doing, and uh, you can't double team every time, but my God. You got to try to slow him down. You're never going to take him completely out of a game. And they did, they've got talent. We talked about that last week. I mean, they do. You look at them on paper and you see some guys and you're like, well, this team should. And they're DBs, my God. Their corners just blanketed the Bengals receivers. And, and I know you talked about, you know, Jamar and the, and the routes run, but whatever the Bengals tried to do, there was a DB there in their face. It seemed like every stinking play. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to see a team that looks completely different um, than they did this past week uh, as they play Baltimore um, in, in every aspect. Right. No, I would agree. And I would think they uh, they should be able to bounce back and get it done. And, and base, uh, I mean, it's not like we're going to see this week in and week out out of them. I mean, there's no way a team falls off the cliff like that with the talent they have. But uh, we'll see if they can bounce back this week against a Baltimore team that apparently is pretty good. Um, it just seems like you have Lamar Jackson at quarterback. And I, I, I almost thought that the Ravens should move on from him after the way things were going sideways last year. I don't and, disagree. And, and uh, what's that? I don't disagree at all. Yeah. I thought, you know, the act not coming to the playoff game when he was injured and mm -hmm. being with his guys and stuff, that's that's what a quarterback does. you got to, like, be the guy, whether you're injured or not, and, and bring everybody in and be there for them because you expect them to be there for you, you know, diving for passes, blocking guys like Miles Garrett, dealing with them in the trenches. So you got to have their back too. And I, I thought, man, I would not do what they did, but they did. And uh, he didn't have any great shakes, you know, in the game against the Texans, but certainly that running game did. And uh, when you look at those stats of that game, you're like, I don't know how they won, you know, by the score they did. And, and a lot of football games do look that way, but it wasn't like they set the world on fire offensively by any means. Yeah, uh, ESPN's FPI gives Cincinnati 51.5% chance to win the game as it, it is their home opener at 1 o'clock on Sunday. Uh, Vegas is currently giving Cincinnati 3.5. I believe it opened up less than that. I think it opened up at 2.5. Um, well, a lot of people expecting the bounce back. I should hope so. It is at home. I uh, believe that the weather is looking much better as well. Uh, I don't think that there's any rain called for. On, well, I'm uh, just glad Sunday when Sunday. I looked at my phone, I'm like, should I? I felt pretty good about the Bengals. Should I bet on them? I passed, thankfully. Good call. <laughs> Uh, yeah, 77 and partly cloudy on, on Sunday. High of 77 there. So it uh, should be right. a great football weather Hopefully day. Saturday night's great football weather, and Sunday is great football weather in Cincinnati as well. And then uh, oh, our, our beloved Red Legs tonight. Well, I want to go back to a conversation we had on our first episode. We weren't sure if we were going to see Joey Votto ever again in a red uniform. I, I, I was shocked. We, 
we weren't sure if we were going to see John India again in a red yeah. uniform. And Sunday we got to see both come back after a quick rehab stint, I believe just a, a game or two down in Louisville um, yeah. before they were brought back up. And both of them hit home runs on Sunday in their first yeah. games back. Um, I, Who saw that coming? I didn't. I figured it It was strange to me. And, and you know, it could have just been – a little something bothering Joey, but he had that shoulder deal. It was a big deal. It was a long rehab, a long comeback for him. And it's like, if that thing's still hurting and that's what, you know, is bothering him, I, I'm surprised he got back as quickly as he did. Um, you know, it, it, it that, that one surprised me. And India, I wasn't sure about. And, you know, some of this is those guys are looking at this team scuffling a little bit. And I'm sure in India's case, he's like, I need to get back out there, especially after Matt McLean went down. Um, you know, they need a bit of a jolt. And he certainly, I, I think he had drove in a couple runs tonight for the team. John, I know, I, I'm, I know they were uh, both Joey and in India had hits. Uh, looking up the box score right now. Yeah, I thought where are they now? Going to the They're uh, in the 10th and it looks like looks like they just scored in the 10th. Um they're up looks like Marte just scored in the 10th. Nice. Um but yeah, John has India has a uh, has two RBI tonight and uh Vado one for 3 with a run scored. So both of them making an cause. Both of them making an impact again tonight. Yeah, I'm really surprised that 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 uh, both are back. I really am. But you know, it's that time of the year. You need your horses, so they better yep. be ready to run. You saw him take a series from Seattle last week before dropping a series to the lowly Cardinals um, Sunday. The game that we talked about already uh, being the only game that they would win against that series against St. Louis. Uh, they won that game seven to one. Uh, right now. Going extras in against Detroit in Detroit, you're just playing teams that are bottom of the barrel teams. You should be you should be feasting. You should be licking your chops and feasting, and they're struggling. They are struggling, but um, you know there's some there's some pitching issues there that they have to get past. Um, you know when you're starting uh, Spires and and nothing against them. They could be down. That yes, they could be. You know, Connor Phillips, I think, is going to start again tomorrow because he got pressed in the service. They didn't want to bring that kid up and have him start. But they've had yep. so many injury issues that they're COVID. just throwing guys into the fire. And and Andrew Abbott is going to get skipped uh, because he's hit a wall. And, and it's apparent he's hit a wall. And whether you skip him once and hope he's, you know, got the pop back, I don't know. We'll see what they decide to do with him. Um, and some of it may have to do with how they play the next few games because, you know, if, if, if they're fading fast and out of it, but at the same time, you don't want to throw in the towel too early. But I always go to that fan graphs thing for the playoff uh, odds. And what. And, and I don't know. I, I guess it's just the number of games left figures heavily into their calculations. But they're yeah. in the Reds like a 11.8% chance of getting a wild card now. Well, the Reds are two games back currently, uh, according to ESPN, in the wild card standings, uh, still behind both San Francisco and Miami uh, that are both one and a half games back. So essentially you have to climb over two teams 
and catch and, Arizona and catch Arizona in in all of that. So that's right. That that's that's tough to do. That's a big tough, ask. Tough sledding is they've got the team. They, they they're as you pointed out, they're playing the teams Correct. to do it against. But I just think you know, unfortunately, when it comes to the pitching, like Andrew Abbott, they they've hit a wall. You know, they're out of pitchers. Uh, Hunter Green threw well, fairly well Saturday, six good innings. Um, thank God for that, and hopefully he can do that again when they decide to put him back out there. But right now, all I know is Phillips pitches tomorrow. Abbott's getting skipped. Don't know when he'll pitch again. And I don't even think I don't even think they announced the starter for Thursday yet. That could be anybody. I'm not. I'm not sure where they're at in the rotation. Yeah, but I don't. They, I don't think they've announced a starter for Thursday, Friday, beyond. I, I think they're they're scrambling. And yeah, if and, somehow they do make the playoffs, holy God, what a job! What, what a job they would have done to do it. But I mean, including tonight's game, yeah, including tonight's game, they have 16 games left, um, and that's you're running out of real estate. Yep. You're, uh, there's just not a, a whole lot of room to get. No, you got to whip off some wins. You can't be losing series to teams with losing records like they did over the weekend. And they got what they got one series left against a team with a winning record, and that's Minnesota when they come in next week. Um, I think that that series starts Monday. Um, It's there for them, but it's just, as you said, they are out of real estate and pitching. So it's not a good combination in September to be facing that. Um, and then we go into that off season and by God, they better, they better fix some things. Cause the Lord knows they should have the money to do it. Uh, I take that back. They have 17 games. Um, I missed there. There's one, one game in October. I missed that. Oh yeah. Yeah. They do go in. Where's that Pittsburgh? Uh, St. Louis. St. They, Louis. They wrap, they wrap they up the season with a three game series in St. Louis. And with the Cardinals. Yep. That is correct. They do play. Uh, they, they, they ho- yeah, they host Pittsburgh. They they travel to Cleveland for two, and then they finish up with three at, at in St. Louis. So, right, not a not a ton of room there, but it's anything can happen. I mean, we've seen stranger things in baseball. I mean, we watched a, a 60, 60 game season during COVID. So, and yes, <laughs> weird 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 things can happen in baseball. Uh, teams have done it. Uh, teams have done it. Um, whether the Reds have the guys to get it done, but again, you know, I I thought they were left for for dead a month ago, and then they kind of s- somehow scramble their way. Reel you back in, yeah, yeah, they do reel you back in. I mean, look, we 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 were just talking about young players and getting experience and all that, and then those young guys ripped off twelve wins in a row, and all of a sudden things changed, and they were battling for the division lead, but. Um, We'll see. At least we're talking about the Reds in September, and, uh, you know, we don't get to do that every year. That's correct. Uh, This brings us to the last portion of our show here. Uh, As you've been watching high school football, what you got for us this week? This week? Well, I'll tell you what. For one, (laughs) I live in Kentucky, so I always, like, know offhand what's going on there. Covcath and Beachwood playing. Couple of undefeated teams, neighborhood rivalry. Obviously, obviously, Cubcat the bigger school. Um, I believe they play at Beachwood. Yep. So uh, that that should be a good one. And I know back in the day, and I, I, I'm sure Cubcat still does this. There's this little, there's this church down the road 
from Beechwood, and the students of Cubcath usually gather there, and then they have this big, I, I don't call it march, usually they're running in a pack and run to the stadium <laughs> in this big pack down the road the Beechwood's on and into the stadium, and it's funny as all get out. So funny. So you got that one. And while I'm in Kentucky, we'll, we'll acknowledge uh, the Jugs of Lloyd for Chad, four and zero. Who they got? Brossert this week. Brossert's like two and two. So how Lloyd to be five and zero? We'll see. How about that? How about that? How about those Jugs? We love them. Yeah, that I love one, them. That was one of our cheers from high school. <laughs> we used to make a lot of comments about the Jugs on the Blitz over. Uh, <laughs> Oh, it, it was very popular. They were a breast popular. cancer awareness month is right around the corner. <laughs> uh, in Ohio, Hamilton at Princeton is a good one. Hamilton's three and one, but Princeton may be the best team out there. We're not sure, but uh, they're awfully good and they're four and zero. Oh. Uh, what else we got? Milford at Kings. Milford off to a nice start. Kings has got a loss. Milford. Uh, has beaten Anderson, has racked up a ton of points. Um, really good team. Tom Griffin does a good job over there. And, and Griffin does not leave anything on the, uh, you know, doesn't leave anything in the cupboard when it comes to offense. He'll throw the kitchen sink at you. And uh, he, he does not mind scoring a lot of points. That's been his forte, and he's getting it done again at Milford. So those are four good ones. But any game you can get out to um, – they're all fun. I, I love going to those high school games. Um, you know, it's it's like when I did them at the Blitz, I was very lucky if I got to stay for a half. And then even then, you're thinking about all the stuff you got to get done when you get back. And so it's not right. like you can just go to the concession stand and get a burger and something and go sit and hang out with some people. No, your your brain's doing this. So I'm really enjoying this season and and, and the chance to go to some games. There you go. All right. Well, unless you got anything else to add this week, I know uh, one thing I did want to throw out there. I saw today uh, Ivan Pace was, uh, I guess, the best-ranked linebacker in all of uh, the NFL, uh, according to PFF. God, isn't that crazy? But but if you use him in the right way and you turn him loose to do his thing, um, you know, he, he's very good. At, at bringing it downhill, very good. I think he had it was the highest graded pass, pass rush, pass rush, pass rush. Yep. Sorry, from a linebacker rush. by a pretty wide margin. Like yeah, that's great. Was, I mean, we saw him do it here. He did it. He <laughs> did it at Miami. Uh, He's got a nose for the ball. I was watching. It was one of those. Uh, I don't know. It may have been a matching game where he had five sacks for Miami in one game, but he just dominated the game on there, and that was. Uh, I think that was the year before he came to UC. Um, and I, I, you know, you, you saw the kid in high school and he was a do-it-all guy in high school. And I was kind of, I'm glad he stayed local. I was hoping he would go with UC. I don't know what happened there, but it, it obviously uh, would have behooved them to have him have him on the roster more than the one darn good year he gave him. But, uh, you know, he found a good spot in Minnesota where they can use someone like him. Um, you know, weren't deep at linebacker. And that's sometimes you're lucky when you don't get drafted that you can end up in a situation like that because, you know, 
people might bang on some teams for not drafting him, but not not every team needs that guy. Or uh, you know, teams do different things and all that, and and he fits exactly what the Vikings are looking for, and and it's paying off for him, and it's paying off for them. So hat tip there to Ivan Pace, and we look forward Absolutely. to seeing. Absolutely, that's awesome. That is awesome. I know you want to know about FC Cincinnati. Oh, go ahead. What you got for me? Well, at Philly Saturday, the team they lost to in the playoffs last year, uh, but they Cincinnati's wrapped off a, wrapped up a playoff spot. Uh, but that will start a stretch of three games in eight days. But hats off to them for a great season. I'm sure. Uh, you know, win or lose, they're in the playoffs, and I expect them to uh, go ahead. And, and Philly's no slouch. Philly's pretty darn good. But I expect Cincinnati to keep that top spot in MLS up until the playoffs, and, and that would be a good thing. There you go. All right. Well, uh, that's going to wrap it up for our third episode of George in the Jungle. We will catch you next week right here at 9 o'clock on the Bearcat Journal Twitch and YouTube channels where we will recap your Bearcats, Bengals, Reds, and a little bit of high school football and FC Cincinnati. So we will see you live 9 o'clock next week.